ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Former off-road professional Garen Fuller with his team at EC Homes, a top-notch real estate company, will help you buy or sell a home. Visit our website, echomesforsale.com, to get a free analysis on your home. Please mention ATV Talk for a 1.5% listing fee. Visit echomesforsale.com. Make sure you let them know who sent you. Hi, Dustin. Thanks for coming on ATV Talk. Yeah, good to see you, Lenny. Haven't been seeing you in a while. I haven't been to the races too much lately, so it's good to see you. I haven't been to a race all year. Oh, really? Dang. Yeah. Taking time off, huh? Well, the family needed some uh, attending to. Uh, my parents are getting a little older. Um, I'm sure you're, you're aware of that. You, you're in the same situation we are or getting there at some point. Um, and it, it was the right time. Uh, Daylene Etsidi got injured, uh, unfortunately for him. And it was just a per- perfect opportunity to stay home and take care of mom and dad. Yeah, that's good. It's, uh, it's obviously been a crazy year, not as much racing to go to anyways. Uh, I've even noticed that on my end, you know, I started this year going to the first rounds of the Lucas regionals out here in California and, and then, uh, COVID struck and, and I've been in a stalling pattern since they've actually started up some races, but, um, yeah, I just had other things going on, you know, it didn't work out. So I haven't, haven't rejoined the series yet, but I'm, thinking I might try to make the last couple rounds at, uh, um, I think they're in late October. So, uh, you're doing that in a UTV, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've got my, my SR one, which is like the custom built, uh, based off of a Rhino chassis design and geometry, but has an R one engine in it. Um, and then I also have been racing a YXZ of course. Right. Right. you like that? Do you like the YXZ? YXC is a good, a great car, especially for the short course stuff. Um, it, you know, immediately became the car to beat when it came out for 16 season. And, um, you know, I think at the national level, uh, Cheek's been doing pretty good in, in an RS one this year, he's been pretty fast. Um, but the Lucas, the Yamaha won so many times with the Lucas series that they really started penalizing us quite a bit. Um, you know, it's a thousand CC production class where you have to have a stock engine. Um, but the Yamaha has to weigh like 180 pounds more. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty tough, man. It's tough going. Plus they're letting the RS ones run uh, single seat cars. So it's a, it's a tough, tough class, but, um, you know, it's, it's been fun. And like I said, it's a great car for that, that type of racing, that short course, like sprint, you know, slinging into the corner, super fast and hard. And, you know, pretty rolly jumps. It's, uh, it's been a great, uh, platform for that. I, I was very fortunate. Uh, Randy from GPR used to be one of your sponsors, um, was kind enough to let 
well, wasn't kind enough. He was pretty forceful. He showed up <laughs> his car and dropped it off and said, Hey, I want a pipe and I want all these mods and, uh, didn't give me an option. Uh, but he was, but he was also allowed me to do some testing in the car and do a little bit of driving. I really think because I've driven the rubber band cars and I've driven the, 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 what I would call a driver's car. Uh, I haven't got yeah. to drive the Honda yet, but I think the Yamaha is a driver's car. No, I'm not a professional UTV racer and I don't, I don't want to be a car mechanic. Um, <laughs> I just the little bit of testing that I've done in them. I really like the Yamaha. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's definitely a driver's car. Um, I definitely think that it has, it's weak points, you know, if you're just a desert enthusiast and you're going to rip through uh, hard packed whoops all day, it's not the best car for you. Like it's just plain and simple. There's better cars out there, but, um, you know, for me that race short course predominantly, um, uh, plus the desert trips that I do with a little bit of dunes, a little bit of hard packed, um, where we don't just suffer and, you know, mash the whoops all day long. Um, there's, I don't think there's a car that I've driven. That's, that's more fun. Um, even some Mexico trips where we're doing, you know, down these, you know, fire roads and dirt roads and just slinging the thing into the corners, you know, using the gearing to, to help you set the car into a corner. And, uh, like you said, it's a driver's car. It's a ton of fun. There are certain sections that I've run where I'm like, I don't care what car you have. You cannot more ha have more fun than I just did in a YXZ. <laughs> I'll let a little secret out here. I did a magazine article with the dirt wheels and yeah. I had only had the car to out to drive one time. Randy had taken it and used it. And Randy's a big boy, you know, much yeah, yeah. Than me, quite a bit bigger around. And yeah. I hadn't figured out how to make the seat work. Right. <laughs> even loaded it off the trailer and it was, I was thrown into it and we were taking photos and, um, I didn't set the seat belts, didn't move the seat. I could barely touch the pedals. Um, and after we were all done, the, the, you know, I told him guys, I'm an, I'm a quad guy, motorcycle guy. I'm not a, I don't know how to drive one of these things. And the, the, the magazine guy was, he was goes, well, you did fine. You know, well, they come driving up afterwards and, I made a comment. I go, you figured out how to move the seat. He goes, yeah, you didn't know how. And I go, no, I didn't know that you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so they made, maybe they made fun of me, um, for the rest of the day. You know how it is when you do a photo shoot and if oh, yeah. stupid, they didn't, they never let you live it down. Everybody's looking for something to give you shit for, for sure. Oh yes. And then I, I still hear about that one. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to ask you a question. You and I had a conversation years ago about the differences between professional motorcycle racing and professional quad racing. And you had some, what I thought, and I still think was amazing insight to it about the differences in the levels in a 20 lap race. Um, if you'd be so kind, if if you could remember the conversation and go back and do the comparisons between the professional motocross guy or the motorcycle guy hitting his lines every time and how hard he can ride his machine versus the ATV pro hitting his lines and being able to push his machine to the same level. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't remember our conversation, but I, I still have an opinion. Um, you know, to me, 
<clears throat> I would say the biggest difference uh, between the, the highest level professional motocross guys on dirt bikes and professional motocross guys on ATVs is, uh, for one thing, it's depth of field. You know, um, just the motocross dirt bike side, uh, the depth of field is, is crazy, right? Like, there's 40 guys on the gate. They go out and qualifying your fastest guy, you know, say, say maybe not this year, but Eli Tomac is your fastest qualifier at a two Oh two. Well, the 40th, you know, qualifying guy is going to be like four or five seconds a lap off of Eli Tomac, which is, which is amazingly close for a 40 man field. Uh, in the ATV world, you know, say Wienan or Hetrick goes out and sets the fastest time of a two Oh two. Um, I would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any track where maybe the sixth or seventh place qualifiers in a 20 rider field are within that five or six seconds, you know? So, um, the first thing is the depth of field. Uh, second of all, uh, on a motor, on a dirt bike, you know, there's so many more lines on the track available to you. The bikes, you know, if you're riding it right, it's only six inches wide, you know, your, or your contact patch is only four to six inches wide on a quad, you're four feet wide. Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy. Like the, just the line differences that are available to you on a dirt bike versus a quad. Um, obviously the quad tracks kind of get one lined and, and railroad track in a lot easier than a motorcycle track does, uh, because there's just more room on a, on a motorcycle track. When the inside rut gets so deep that it's a pain in the ass, you move over a foot and then you've got a whole new line, you know? Um, and then, and then, you know, probably lastly, and maybe what we talked about mostly was, um, you know, a dirt bike is such a high level as, as a bone stock piece of equipment off of the dealership floor. Um, now the, the factory guys, they're not racing a stock motorcycle, but there's privateers that are within five seconds a lap of those guys that are racing a, a mostly stock motorcycle. Um, for an ATV guy to perform at a high level, it's a damn near different bike, right? Than you buy off the showroom floor. Totally. There's, you know, you're putting, you have to put so much aftermarket parts, arms, shocks, swing arm, linkage, you know, build the crap out of the motor to pull the extra hundred pounds or more than that it weighs in a dirt bike, you know? Um, so there's so many more variables on an ATV that like I found as a rider going from dirt bikes where if I was fit enough, I could ride that thing to my absolute peak for 30 minutes plus two laps. And I would never, it would never even cross my mind that, there was anything mechanical that I need to worry about. And then I moved to quads and I was like, you can, you could actually override your machine, like to where you were in high danger of damaging it and not finishing a race or finishing a race, limping the quad to the finish because of, you know, of how, how gnarly they're built and then how hard we were pushing them you could easily overheat an engine if you were, you know, getting roosted too much and plug the radiator up. And, um, you know, like if you catch 
catch a hole wrong, it's easier to get a flat tire on an ATV or, or, you know, mess up a ball joint or a tie rod or, you know, there's so many more variables to trying to get your bike to the finish of the race at the highest level. Um, you know, it's, I think that's what I had to learn a little bit when I first started riding quads, I was trying to ride it like a dirt bike and I was like, Holy crap, I can like actually ride too hard to get to the bike, the bike to the finish. That's, that's basically the, the, the long version of the conversation that we had. Um, that being said, when you trained for the motorcycle and you trained for the ATV, what are the biggest differences that you physically went through learning how to get your body through that time frame? Well, I mean, I grew up riding dirt bikes, right? I started racing when I was six years old. I, you know, was an amateur my whole life. I turned professional when I was 17. And so, I mean, my body was so conditioned to race dirt bikes. Um, it was like, you know, I had muscles in my body that were stronger than others just because that's what you needed to ride a motorcycle. And that's what I grew up doing. And then when I focused on, on ATVs, it was like, holy crap, my shoulders are so tired. My back is so sore. Like these different parts of my body were working so much harder than they had before. And it was like, oh man, like I thought this was going to be this, I'm, I'm a fit dude. I thought it was going to be easy jump from the dirt bike to the quad and I'm going to have to learn some skills, but my fitness is good. And then I was like, Oh wait, my fitness is good, but it's not, it's not ATV good. Like I had to really work on, you know, making my shoulders stronger to, you know, you're, I mean, you're turning so much more. There's so much more leverage on your arms on a, on an ATV on a dirt bike. You're turning this little spindly front wheel and on the ATV, you're turning two front wheels that have all this linkage and suspension hooked up to them. And you're going through these ruts that are just like trying to rip the bars, you know, out of your hands the whole time. You know, somebody like, like Randy, like you talked about from GPR, he was a massive help when I first started riding quads because I went to the first couple of races with, with no steering stabilizer. And I was like, Holy <laughs> crap, how do these guys hold on? How do they go so fast through all this choppy rough stuff? And Randy was like, you know, he, I knew him from being a dirt bike guy. And, um, he was like, dude, you cannot race these things without a stabilizer on them. Come to the shop, pick up a couple of stabilizers. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Yeah, and then I wrote it. I was like, Oh, I'm an idiot. What was I doing? You know, but, um, no. yeah, I had no idea. You know, I, I, my experience with quads was testing Yamaha's, you know, stock quads. They don't come with stabilizer on them. That was my only experience on quads before I really started, you know, hitting the tracks and, and trying to race them. So, um, I just, I was clueless to a lot of different, uh, setup things, you know, on a, on a real race quad. If we, if you look at the comparison to motorcycle and ATVs, which we've talked a little bit about, about your body and some of the things that, that you need to be prepared for, why is there such a big difference in, in age in the champions? Why are the motorcycle guys so much younger than the ATV guys? Well, I think part of it is that the motorcycle guys are, are, are starting on legit equipment at an earlier age. If you look at, say, uh, a YZ85 or a KTM85, it's a miniature version of a full-size dirt bike. Like, it's just scaled down, right? It's like the power-to-weight ratio 
sometimes is, is damn near the same as like a 450. It's, it's wild, you know, like for these little kids. And, and, um, and if you look at like mini ATVs, I mean, they, they made a decent effort to have some like legit mini ATVs, but they cost so much that nobody can afford them. Right. right. So I think that, um, the first disadvantage is that none of the ATV guys are riding a real ATV until they reach the 450 class. Um, you know, I know there's a, there's some families that are more well-off than others and build these hybrid 250s for their kids that are coming up and stuff like that. But that, that doesn't grow the sport as a whole, right? That doesn't like give you a real farm of all these like young and up and coming kids to, to graduate into these badass 450 quad racers. Um, so I think that, uh, that's part of it. And then another part of it is that, like I said before, um, the mental game has to be stronger on a quad because it's not just pin it and, and hold on. It's, it's, you have to think your way around the track and be good to your equipment to be able to get it to the end. I think, I think if you look at the professional, uh, ATV series right now, it's, it's super apparent. Like how long has Joel Hetrick been the fastest guy in qualifying? Like, I mean, he's been the fastest guy in qualifying for like seven years or eight years, but only in the last couple of years has he gotten smart enough to get it to the finish and actually win championships, win races and win championships. Right. You know, so I just think that it takes a maturity level uh, mentally to be able to ride a quad at that level for that long and do it by and do it with keeping your equipment together. So the mental game is almost more important than the physical game. Well, obviously you're, you're never going to win if you can't rip and haul ass. Right. So right. you gotta, you gotta have the talent. You gotta have the work ethic to be able to last the race, like physically yourself. But I think that's why you seem like guys like Joel, where he would, he would win, you know, three or four races a year, but he'd also crash out of three or four races a year, you know? So now he's, he's gotten, he's put enough years in to develop mentally enough to where he doesn't throw it away like he used to, you know, and, and he's, and he's, you know, a championship threat every year now. Yep. I've got to watch you as you rolled into your ATV career. I was also a, a distant fan of your motorcycle career. Didn't know you then knew the name, watched you in a few events, uh, because I'm a huge fan of, of, motorcycle ATV racing of any kind. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I like some car racing, but mostly ATVs are my, are my thing, but I also grew up on motorcycles. Um, when you started, you started in the local area, Glen Helen a lot. We, we, we seem to chew a lot of the same dirt there and you rolled into some work stuff. You've also done some desert. You've also had a wide range of ferocious champions to deal with from <laughs> Doug Eichner, Josh Fredericks, Bo Barron. Um, was there any real tough rivalry there that, that you had? Well, you dealt with Frenchie too. You guys had some yeah. awesome battles. I mean, yeah. awesome stuff. And uh, was there any, any uh, rough feelings between any of those guys with, because you had some good battles with all of them. Yeah, I was fortunate to be 
mostly friendly with most of the, most of the guys I was racing with, you know, I think, you know, me, I'm a pretty laid back, easygoing guy, but definitely on the track, I'm a little different, uh, you know, definitely, um, change, change my demeanor a little bit. Um, I definitely, uh, always believed that I worked harder than anybody else and I deserved to win. And I would, I would, uh, throw myself out there at all costs to, to try and make that happen. And, um, so that definitely, you know, spurs up little rivalries here and there. Um, I definitely had like, a. Uh, I got along with Bo really well. We knew each other from motorcycles. I was actually, um, we raced four stroke nationals together and even traveled a little bit together back in the days on dirt bikes. Um, and I had been on quads, I think for two or three years and, uh, Bo, I guess went and did a work race on a quad and, uh, Taft just cause it was local to his house. And, it was before I was racing works and, and he had gotten fourth or fifth in the, in the pro class. And he called me because I'd been racing quad cross for a few years already. And, uh, he was like, dude, I raced this quad race and I got like fourth or fifth. What should I do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. What do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to race quads or do you want to race dirt bikes still? And he's like, I think I want to race quads. And I'm like, well, then you better start fucking building a bike because I know you borrowed one for this race. And, and that got you through, but like, there's a lot more that goes into quad racing, you know, and that's kind of how Bo got his start. But, um, on the rivalry side, I would say that, um, me and Frenchie, we got along well, Jeremy Warnia, uh, we got, we got along well, but I mean, we, we battled hard and we, we kind of probably rose the level of the quad cross series a little bit just because we were going at each other so hard out there that, we kind of left everybody else behind. Um, Jay Fred, he was like, he was one of the first guys I started talking to when I started racing quads. Um, and he'll be a good friend forever. He honestly, I didn't have much of a rivalry with him because if he came to a quad cross race, I destroyed him. If I went to a works race, he destroyed me, you know? So it was like, he had his thing. He was like the off-road killer. And I, I was really good at the moto side. Um, but I would say the last couple of years of my ATV racing career, my biggest rivalry that I like, I just didn't like the person and I didn't ever want to be beat was Davey, Davey Hagsma. Um, <laughs> it, it kind of stemmed from, and it's funny cause I, I really like Davey's parents and I, I know I would like Davey now, but at the time I hated him. Uh, I liked Davey's parents, but I felt like he was like a spoiled rich kid. And, um, and it really stemmed from, uh, I forget what season, probably the 12 or 13 season. Um, the first round of the series at Glen Helen, uh, it went, uh, Davey, Bo, me in the first moto and the second moto, I passed Davey, passed Bo, got in the lead. And so we were going to be reverse of the first moto order and I was going to get the overall and, uh, and they had both pull over and let Davey win. And it was like the first round of the series and they, you know, basically took a win away from me, had Bo pull over. So that caused a big problem with me and Bo for a little while. But, um, you know, after that I was just like F Davey, F his mechanic, 
you know, I don't like these people at all. And, you know, it's, uh, it definitely, I was, I was pretty bitter. You know, I was, I was making a living racing. I was supporting my kids and my family and, and I took it pretty personally that, that they would pull over and, and change the winner of the race, you know? And, 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 you know, I kind of agree with that when you're racing for money, it's a totally different ball game. And, and why don't you elaborate on that for the you, the young people that are listening? Because I don't think that anybody really understands the level that a you're at or that the pros are at. You guys are racing paycheck to paycheck. Some of those pro guys, if they don't win or they don't place in the money, uh, they're going to struggle to get home. Yeah. I mean, I definitely live that life. Um, especially on dirt bikes, you know, in my first few pro years, um, you know, driving across the country with a bike in the back of my Toyota pickup to go hit a couple nationals. And we would like time these races to where, Oh, we're going to go do this race in Minnesota. Oh, we're going to drive through Montana because there's a Montana state fair race where we can hopefully win and make a couple grand the weekend before. And then that'll cover our expenses to go to the national at Millville. And then it, depending on how we do between those two races, we'll decide if we're going to go to the next national in Washougal or if we're just going to head home, you know, like it was, it was a crazy life, you know, chasing the dream. Um, but definitely as like, I grew up by the time I was racing quads, I was, you know, married and starting to have kids. And, um, you know, then you have a whole lot more responsibility and more weight on your shoulders, right? Like you're, you're not just earning money for you to put, gas in your truck and get to the next race. You're, you're earning money to, to put food on the table for your kids and, and, uh, put a roof over the head of your family. So, um, I think honestly that probably drove me, um, as hard as anything. I obviously was pretty driven to win. I, I love to, I'm just a super, super competitive person, but, um, I, I felt like I had so much obligation to my family. If this was going to be my job, then I treated it like a job. You know, I spent a lot of hours every week training, riding, trying to improve my speed, my fitness, my bike handling. You know, I just did what I thought was necessary. And, and if you're going to race at the highest level, in my opinion, that's how you have to treat it. It's a job. It's not this cool um, hobby that you get to do and go make a bunch of money doing it really doesn't work like that. You, you know, for as much time as everybody's putting in on the nine to five during the week, if you're not putting in that much time as a trying to be a high level professional racer, you're not going to win. So the self-sacrifice that I think is missing in a lot of the pro in a lot, a lot of the pros don't realize, especially the young pros, that there has to be self-sacrifice. Being that I was a racer, not nowhere near to your level, of course, uh, and, and practicing, my trade was being a mechanic. And I know that I can probably attest to it that the Saturdays, the Sundays, the nights, the the late nights during the week, and then the things that where I had to to develop my skills, I had to give up certain portions of family life 
to learn those skills. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I know as a racer that you had to do the same thing. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I feel like um, it takes just, just an unbelievable amount of devotion, right? Like you have to be super passionate and, and, and love what you do so much or else it's really not worth it. You'll, you'll find excuses to make, um, to not, to not put in all that effort that it actually takes, you know? So for yourself, lucky for you, you probably enjoyed working on the bikes, even though it took a lot of extra time out of your life to do it. And, and you probably enjoyed, you know, being at the races and being part of that team, the camaraderie that you have with your riders and things like that. And, you know, that's the same things that, that the racers enjoy, but yeah, like you said, a lot of people don't understand the amount of work that goes on behind closed doors to make that image that shows up at the races and that, that complete, like, you know, for me, it was a team that was out of my 40 foot trailer with a nice awning and creating this badass pit presence. You know, a lot of people don't understand how much work goes into that. Hey, when you have to load the box van and set the tires and prep the bike and go pick up the rider and work a 40 hour a week job, that's really a 60 hour a week job. Plus do all those things. Um, yeah, there was, there was some, a lot of things missed in my days, but my family was at the racetrack, you know, and, and being a, you can't call me a super fan because I didn't have everybody's Jersey. I didn't have, you know, a flag waving for anybody but I loved watching the races and, you know, I wish the, the one thing that I wish when I was younger is that I would have realized I was such a fan and the flag that the guy that you're racing against really didn't matter. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 when I was younger, it mad, you know, you're a freaking hard line guy. These are our sponsors and you don't talk to anybody. As I got older, that totally went away because yeah. I remember being in more than one different pit at any given time working on somebody's machine to make sure that we got the full gate of pros or the full gate of the pro-am guys to race against so that it was legit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's definitely something to be said for the racing family. You know, everybody trying to come together and make sure that everybody's gonna or has the opportunity to go out there and put their best effort in. Right. Oh, it, it, you know, th that's the thing I love about the ATV sport works, uh, the quad cross stuff. Uh, you could never walk through the pits with your head down without somebody stepping over and going, Hey man, what's going on? What's wrong? Oh, I got a problem. What's your problem? Let's go fix it. You know, or let's right. go find the person that has the solution. And that person's racing that second moto, um, maybe on a different bike, maybe on, you know, their machine, but they borrowed apart from so-and-so and, and you're riding and it made the experience for me that much better, you know, cause I always showed up with way more parts than I needed, <laughs> you know, I was prepared for everything. Yeah, I know. I was just a, I was just a guy that had a Yamaha factory support ride, but I was also like the Yamaha parts truck. It felt like sometimes at the races. Oh, well, because <laughs> you know, the things that can go wrong and you know, uh, if I have one, I better have three because I'm going to end up selling one and I'm going to need it. Yeah. You know, an extra axle in the trailer. There's just, there's just so many, so many portions of it. Um, I also, I'm a fan of 
mountain bike riding and I see that you do a lot of training at it. I'm not very good. You know, I, I haven't got the pleasure of going getting smoked by you. Um, but I've got to go ride with Josh Rowe who, you know, makes me look silly. Um, but I see, have you transferred from the conventional machine to the electric bike yet? No, I haven't. I, um, I'm still full pedal power at this point. Uh, Yamaha does have a, a new um, full suspension bike that they just introduced about a month ago called the, the Yamaha YDX Moro. And um, I did, I was lucky enough to go, go do like a hour and a half, hour and 45 minute ride on a prototype bike of it. And um, it's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited. I'm going to try to get my hands on one. You know, I'm trying to reach out to whoever can help me pull some strings, get my hands on a bike. But um, I, I think they're uh, pretty cool in that like what they have the capability of doing is bringing people that um, you know, maybe are kind of intimidated to go on a ride with their buddies that ride all the time and it may, could make them, uh, you know, enjoy the sport more. So I think there's really cool possibilities with the e-bikes. Um, but even for myself, you know, I've explored a ton of miles of trails, like right from my house, but there's some stuff that I'm like, man, if I had an e-bike, I just go do this whole extra loop to go explore and see if there's anything else good out there, you know? And, um, you know, where I top out at like 20 plus miles and 3000 feet of climbing on a regular bike, I could take an e-bike for 30 miles and 4,000 feet of climbing, no problem. And, and kind of go do some exploring and look for some new trails to, uh, start hitting on my pedal bike, you know? Do you think that the, conditioning level will go up even though you're using some assist because your, your heart rate's still there. You're still pedaling, you know? I yeah, mean. I do. I do. I, um, like I said, I don't have a ton of experience, but the, the one day I rode the Yamaha bike, uh, there was four of us all on the same bike <clears throat> or not on the same bike, but on the same model. And, um, you know, one of them was like the guy that's in charge of the whole project with Yamaha. And then another, another one of the guys was Brian Lopes who did all the Yamaha photo shoot and video stuff for the promo of this new bike. Well, Brian Lopes is like a multi-time downhill champion on mountain bikes. And so even though we were all on e-bikes, like in an hour and 45 minutes, I felt like I had sprinted on my pedal bike the whole time because like the pace of the ride was so fast everybody was on e-bikes. So you didn't have to wait for anybody. Um, and the pace of the ride was just so fast. And, and it was, it was crazy because it was a different, it was a different type of workout because, um, it was just like, uh, like it was more mental because you're going so fast and everything was fast paced. You didn't take it as many rests, even on the uphills you're ripping. So you got to watch out for rocks and pedal strikes way more. Um, it was just a different type of workout, but it was super fast paced and it, it really impressed me. When I was training pretty heavy a few years ago, I really liked the downhill portion of the ride because it, it helped my small muscle groups in my shoulders, which I have problems with and my elbows and my neck. Do you get the same kind of workout on the, the e-bike that you do on the conventional bike when you're downhilling in that, in that 
uh, scenario? I think so. Um, obviously, when you're when you're going, down, the e-bike's not really giving you, you know, as much assist. Um, so you actually have to tone it down sometimes if you have it like in one of the high modes and you do a half pedal, it'll accelerate you right off the freaking corner. So, um, so my experience on the downhills, it wasn't much different than my normal bike other than I found like the weight of the e-bike kind of, kind of made you feel really planted and, and more stable down a lot of the like real choppy stuff. That was my next question right there because I, I ride a Trek, a Trek 29. Um, and my biggest complaint is it doesn't stick. Yeah. It it drifts. Yeah. It's the e-bike is more planted for sure. You know, it's, it's a 50 pound bicycle. So, um, but they, they set the suspension up to handle it, but it just feels like you're, you're a little bit deeper in the travel all the time. It feels a little bit lower CG and it definitely just feels stuck to the ground better. That's that sounds awesome. I'm not, I'm not going to have that discussion with my wife because there's no way I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, just don't show her a price tag. Well, it, you know, we get to talk a lot about racing and we get to tell a lot of stories. And let, let's do a little story time. What's the biggest, and it doesn't matter whether it's in the car, whether it's on the ATV or the motorcycle. If you had to remember probably the most memorable race that you ever rode, what was it? Yeah, that's gnarly. Well, I mean, yeah, you've raced probably what? Yeah. Well, I'm 42 and I started when I was six. So I've been racing for 36 years, but, um, man, um, there's a, there's a couple like, you know, huge ones that stand out. I won Loretta's when I was on, on eighties, you know, Loretta Lynn's amateur, you know, motorcycle race when I was on eighties, that was, that was massive. Um, <clears throat> on quads, probably the one that sticks out the most is, um, I think it was 2009, me and Frenchie were like battling to the death at quad cross. And, um, <clears throat> there was a, with two races to go, we were like within three points and, uh, Johnny Leach, a good buddy, but at the time we had, we were at odds here and there, even though he was a sponsor of mine, as far as exhaust went, but, um, we, he, he owned the motorworks team, the motorworks Can-Am team. And, uh, so Frenchie, he felt like Frenchie needed some help at the last couple of races. So, <laughs> but with two rounds to go, he brought out, uh, Natali to the second to last round. And, um, and it, it backfired because I got the, I got the starts and, and I won still. So it didn't, didn't really phase anything. Um, but there was a, cr- a crazy conversation between, uh, Yamaha's Donnie Luce, Johnny Leach from the Can-Am team and myself about like, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we bringing in extra guys? Let's just like, let the riders fight it out that have been fighting it for the whole year, you know? And, um, so there was a gentleman's agreement that, cause you know, Donnie was saying, well, we can bring out Thomas Brown, you know, and he can, he can mix it up at the last round too. And so, um, there was a gentleman's agreement to not bring any other extra riders. It was going to be basically me versus Frenchie for the last race. And, um, we showed up to the last race and Weenan had just signed for Can-Am and he was there <laughs> and it was like, 
oh shit, what happened to our gentleman's agreement? And uh, Johnny was like, hey man, I'm sorry. I said that we weren't going to do it, but Can-Am said, F you, we're having him go and we need to win this championship. And so um, it was just a wild race day. You never show up and all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, they're not playing by the same rules that we all agreed to. Um, but went out and got like, uh, I think I got third in the first moto. Um, uh, Weenan, I think uh, Weenan won, Frenchie was second, I was third. And second moto, um, I got the start. Actually, me and Frenchie were battling up front and uh, he got me with like, he got me like I'm at the beginning of the race and, and was ahead of me, but I was just hounding him the whole race, the whole race, the whole race. And, uh, I passed him on the last lap and, and won the race, which gave me the overall won the championship. And it was just like, I had a couple buddies that were from my motorcycle days that drove up just to support. They'd never been to a quad race, you know, it was like, and it was just like a super rad picture, you know, like, uh, Harlan Foley from ATV riders was there of course. And he got a picture of me coming over the last jump to the finish line. Like, you know, like, yes, I won like arms up in the air. And in the background are my two buddies that like drove up or my three buddies that drove up and they're just like all high five in. And, you know, like Harlan had no idea of this picture, but when I look at it, it means so much, you know, it's such a cool picture. And, means so much. My buddies came up, we, we pulled off this thing that, you know, theoretically we weren't supposed to beat like a guy like Ween in and, and, you know, it was just, uh, we pulled it off and it was a, a, a huge win on the day, but then it also meant winning a championship, which meant a lot for me, like, you know, career wise, financially, all that stuff with the bonuses and all that things, you know, the, signing your next contract, it's always a big plus. And it was, it was a big deal, man. That's that's what it's all about. That's that's the love of the sport right there, and why you keep coming back. You know, it's like that perfect golf shot. Yeah, it's it's just um, you know, I don't know. There's it's hard to say. There's so many rays, but that one stands out huge to me. Um, and then you know, we had a we had a perfect season one year at, at Quad Cross, and where I won every overall. That was you know, the racing wasn't as crazy as with Frenchie, but it was like, it was just, you know, Bo and Davey were there and it was, we just had a great year, man. We won every race. And, um, that one we remembered pretty good. I built pops like a big, um, like three foot by five foot, like a poster banner thing to hang on his wall in his shop at work. Um, you know, thanks pops for the perfect season, because as you know, um, you cannot have a perfect season without a good mechanic. Uh, wrenching on the bikes and and making shit happen every time you go out and it's almost impossible to have one yeah yeah it's I mean, like i said so many things have to go right you know like i was riding well the bike was working amazing and and pops was doing his job of, of you know making sure that everything stayed together and the bike was you know unbelievably perfect every time i hit the track so it's tough to make happen and that's why we try to remember it with that poster form remind them how much hard work you put in and how much it's appreciated. Yeah. It's, you know, that's really touching. And, and I, gosh, I don't, I know Eichner and I won six of the, the first six races that we raced in 2002. He won all six of them. It was yeah. races. Um, it, it, 
yes, it was a full season, but you know, there's always question. There's always question. We never came close to dominating anything like that ever again. Uh, we yeah. won a lot of races, but it's but tough, still, perfect is perfect. And, and that is, that is quite the accomplishment. And I had no idea. I didn't, even, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I think it was like a, maybe 2011 or something like that. You know, it was, a. I was, I would see you mostly at the works races, obviously, whereas where I, I was usually like on struggle street, you know, my, my whole life I was a motocross guy and, um, Yamaha was like, Hey, there's an off-road series out here too. And we feel like we're getting more of our money's worth. If you, you know, went out there and gave it your all. And I saw, I started doing works in no eight. Uh, man, I, I, I had so much fun at, at so many of them, but it's, uh, it was so brutal. My, my body was built for doing these like 30 minute sprints its whole life. And it's so hard to like talk myself into doing these hour and a half or for a while they made them, you know, two hour races and, um, not only hard to talk myself into like changing my pace that was in my head to, to do that, you know, for that long. But, um, I was better at setting a bike up for motocross. I was better at making my, making my bikes last for suit for motocross, you know, like, right. It's just, uh, it's such variables, you know, when you threw in the works races and I did end up winning a couple, but you know, I won six quad cross championships in 10 years. I won two works races in, you know, the six or eight years that I did on it. It was really hard for me. And then, you know what, everybody has their niche, you know, and, and yeah. that's okay. You were still uh, a threat every time you went to the starting line at a works race, you know? Yeah, was, I definitely like a give that, me. that. That's what, that's what was so frustrating. I think to me was, um, you know, at least in my eyes, I always felt like I was a threat to win or at the very minimum be on the podium, like pushing those guys. And I, man, I was on the podium a lot. It's just the wins. I didn't have the wins, you know, I was second a ton of times, third a ton of times, you know, leading and have an issue a ton of times. Like, you know, it's just, uh, man, those wins are tough. That's why they, you have to appreciate them so much more when you get them. And, and you appreciate them as you roll through something like that, where you're the bridesmaid or you're, you're third or, you know, you ended up fourth just off the box and, and you're struggling, but you're not struggling. You're just struggling to win, you know, and you're a threat. Yeah. I get it. You know, I mean, we've all spent lots of years doing it. I think that the percentage in your career that you win if you mapped it out is so low. Oh yeah. That you're, it's, you're losing more than you're winning. And what keeps us coming back is that one win, you know, it's that yeah. perfect golf shot, you know, you, yeah. I'm not much of a golfer, but me either, but I try, I don't even try anymore. I got a bad shoulder and, and <laughs> Yeah, it just it just doesn't it just doesn't rotate right, and yeah, it just makes it for a frustrating day. See, I've always liked golf because it's like a it's like a polar opposite of being at the races. You know, I spent I would spend all week like you know riding my mountain bike, riding my dirt bike or my quad, you know, training my butt off. I'd go to the races. It's loud. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's muddy. You know, you're just like just 
just like the level is so high. Right. And then I would love to like go out on like a Monday, like chill or recovery day or something like that and go hit it, go hit the golf course. Cause it's all of a sudden it's like peaceful. It's quiet, you know, like it's clean. It's, it was just such a polar opposite for me. It was like a really good escape to try to just go do something different that still challenged my mind. You know, <laughs> do you think that they picked the wrong name for golf? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, cause there are a lot of other words get used out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. I'm, but it's funny. I just yell at myself the whole time. I hit a bad shot. I'm like, Dustin, what the hell are you doing? You know, and it's nobody to blame but yourself. <laughs> I got a question for you. All right. Hypothetical. Let's, let's, let's take the, the, the time in your life in, in the ATV world and you got a 20 man gate. Who are the guys when you were at your best that you want to race and who do you want on that gate? Oh man. Um, guys that I've raced with anybody. Yeah. Um, older, older times, today's time. I'm not, I'm not a history buff in the quad world because I was a dirt bike guy. And like, I basically got lucky and came into the quad quad world when, when the quads got really good all of a sudden, or when there was good production bikes all of a sudden. (laughs) But, um, uh, so like, I know of like Danton and, and guys like that, but I, I never like had any like visual you know, right. of those guys like ripping and how good their style looked or anything like that, you know? Um, but, uh, guys like, like Eichner, um, you know, when I first came in, Eichner was still, still like a killing it at works or a huge threat all the time at works. He was like ridiculous in the desert. Um, I felt like I always had him covered in the moto side, but but he was, you know, and he was a local guy and we did some, you know, we would do some training and stuff like that. Actually, just like a week and a half ago, Eichner and Bielman came up here and mountain biking with me. You should, you should come up next time, but they're both on e-bikes just to warn you. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> but, uh, so Dougie, um, guys like J Fred, um, Bo, you know, Frenchie was so fun to battle because it felt like mentally we could battle each other out. Like we were so f- close on pace so many times. Um, uh, Chad was a, always a really cool guy. Thomas was great. Every time I ever went and hung out with him or did a, did a, he'd come out here and do a race or I would go back there and do a race. You know, he'd pit out of my pit out here. I'd pit out of his pit back there. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, those are all like the, my guys in the ATV racing, you know, uh, when I first started racing, uh, Coriolis, Jeremy shell, Dana Creech, you know, um, Doug Gust and Jeremiah Jones were both like unbelievably badass when I was first starting. Um, creamer was creamer was amazing. Like, uh, Wimmer, you know, like, gosh, I had, I had battles with like guys that, were legends and I hardly knew about them yet. You know, I was kind of just getting my feet wet and hey, go do these races. And I was like, Oh shit. Like these guys are amazingly fast. But at some points in the track, I was faster than them just cause like, you know, my motorcycle routes and my motocross routes were coming through, you know? So it was, uh, I do remember at the beginning of riding quads, 
I learned a ton by going, if you, I know you remember our El Cajon motocross track, Yep. you know, it, what nights was quad night, but, um, I would go down there on a damn near stock quad and guys like Coriolis, Dana Creech, Shell, you know, um, they were coming down and, and, and doing the open practice nights. And I would park on the side of the track and watch them come through corners and just fucking be mind blown. They were going so fast through the corners. And I was just like, how do you guys do that? And, you know, they were just laughing at me because I was just some idiot dirt bike guy. But, um, you know, it was funny. Dana was going through some corners so fast. And I'm like, how are, like, what are you doing? Cause it looked like he was trying to kill himself, which is pretty much how Dana rode most of the time. Anyways. <laughs> but, but he was like, he's like, no man, you don't understand. There's this guy at the nationals, Jeremiah Jones. And he goes through the corner. If, if I look like I'm fast through that corner, he's twice as fast as me through that corner. And he's like, I'm just out here trying to figure out how to go as fast as Jeremiah through the corners. And I was just like, damn, I got I gotta see this Jeremiah Jones guy, you know, and then I would go back and do some nationals and I was like, oh yeah, he's pretty freaking fast. He was he was pretty gnarly. So would you say that the difference in the skill level from an ATV guy to a motorcycle guy, there's a de- definite difference. Oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, I was a pretty high level motocross guy, dirt bike guy when I switched, um, you know, I was finishing top 20 at nationals, you know, motos and, um, had earned national numbers even without going to most of the races in the series. And, um, I got on a quad and, you know, luckily for me, I, I had a couple of years of riding a quad here and there, uh, during the development of the YFZ, um, to learn how to ride it. But, um, I would say that by the time the YFZ was introduced and I started doing some races on one, uh, jumping wise, I was as good or better than most of the pros out there. And it was purely like my dirt bike skills, you know, soaking up jumps and trying to stay low and keep your forward momentum, all that type of stuff. Uh, I was really good at just from my dirt bike skills. And, um, you know, I would say everybody, but maybe like Dana, as far as like the guys that were racing out here on the West coast, I had covered on that. Or maybe Corey Ellis, he was pretty good cause he was so lanky. Um, but then, uh, we go to the corners and I was just like, you know, I, I was so awkward. You know, <laughs> uh, I remember going to my first ever quad race was at Glen Helen, a quad cross race at the end of Oh three. And, um, I, I got second to Corey Ellis in the race. But when I came in from the first moto, my wife was like, you have to lean in the corners. They're all like leaning on their back tire, like on the inside tire in the corners. And you're just look like you're straight up and down sitting on top of the seat. And I'm like, ah, man, I feel like I'm leaning. And then I'd look at all these, uh, pictures and, and videos and stuff. And I was like going into the corner and I was like, basically like leaning my upper body over, like my, my ass was staying in the middle of the seat, like you would on a dirt bike. Yeah. And I was leaning my upper body and my head like into the corner. And then I see Corey with like his ass sitting on the freaking Nerf bar. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys are crazy. You know, so that took a long time to figure out how to turn a quad like legit. 
fast, you know, rip a turn on a quad is so much body English and, and so much more goes into it than on a dirt bike. You're, you just can't move that much on a dirt bike. If you felt, if you lean that much on a dirt bike, you're falling off of it. Well, I wish you to came and talk to me because <laughs> I would have taken you out and had you ride a three wheeler. Oh yeah. What you've done is figure eights and you'd have hated me because you had, uh, you'd have had bumps and bruises and skins cause you'd crashed a lot. But by the time you were done in, in a day of that, when you got on your quad, you'd have a whole different bag of tricks to pull from to allow you to turn. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, they don't turn exactly the same, but it teaches you to get off the side and yeah. allows you to understand that how much body English plays a part in riding a quad. That brings me to my next question. Well, I, I, I don't want to lose the focus of where I was going. There was a podcast situation that happened, I believe it was last year. And one of the podcasters called out the ATV group and said that we were a bunch of, I don't know the exact words. And I don't even know if you know what happened with this situation. Um, I always respected the motorcycle guys and I still do. Yeah. But I really don't think that they know what they're talking about when they take the, the crossover from a motorcycle to an ATV. Yeah. So, so I know what you're talking about, the pulp and mech stuff. Um, yeah. So I've been asked this a bunch of times. <laughs> um, this, so, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a go-to guy for the quad versus motorcycle or motorcycle versus quad questions. But um, yeah, so basically um, I mean, we could, we could have talked an hour about this, but, uh, it's my opinion that you take, uh, Tomac or, or any of the top, uh, motorcycle guys, you throw them on a quad for, um, a couple weeks and you send them to a national, they're going to get smoked. Um, you give them a year, they could probably adapt, but I don't think that they would. And and the reason that I think that is because to go f as fast as it takes to be a Chad Wienan or a Joel Hetrick, you have to need it. You have to want it and need it. And a guy like, that's why you'll never have a transplant of a high, high level dirt bike guy. They're making enough money and they don't need this to they don't need to go that fast on a quad to make their living and do what they want to do with their life. Um, so, you know, long story short, uh, no, a top level dirt bike guy could not immediately complete compete at the highest level on a quad. Um, do I think that they have the talent and the fitness to be able to adjust over time? Yes. Do I think that would ever happen? No, because they don't need it. You have to need it. You have to want it so bad that it is actual need in your life to go that fast and hang it out and be that gnarly on a quad. That's one of the things I think that differs the ATV world from the motorcycle world is you have a group of individuals that just have a diehard passion for ATV racing because, yeah, you made a living for a while at it, 
but you're one of a very small group of human beings that have ever done this. And, you know, I've been very fortunate that I work for a performance engine company that has came from the startup, you know, with our father in the seventies into the eighties. And, you know, we just kept doing it. Um, my brother and I have made a, an excellent living. Um, I can't take, I can't say we haven't, but we weren't racing the whole time. Yeah. And you, you never made enough money to really pay a professional team to go out and race because that's just not, the money just wasn't there. Right. Um, so that's where the love of the sport comes from. You have to love ATV racing to go do it. Like you said, at the level it takes to go that fast. And yeah, I think you have to be a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely consider myself lucky that I was able to make a living or have been able to make a living from racing, uh, you know, for as long as I did. Um, you know, it's so funny when people would ask me like, dude, what are you doing racing quads? Like, you know, when I, in the first few years after racing dirt bikes, um, you know, I was like, uh, the best way I have to explain it is what drives me in life or what has driven me in life. And, and, um, made me you know, want to keep racing. I was just passionate about racing period. I, I loved racing dirt bikes, but when my dirt bike career had leveled off and I wasn't going to be the top five guy that I had, you know, striven, you know, had been striving to be my whole life. Um, you know, and I'd been professional on dirt bikes for 10 years, you know, at the age of 27, I was getting old on dirt bikes, right? I'm, I was 27. <laughs> I'd been professional for 10 years and, um, I was never going to be like the level that I thought I might achieve when I was an amateur. Um, so this, you know, for me, by luck, quad racing came along, you know, and that was all through being a test rider for Yamaha. Um, they, you know, I started with them testing on dirt bikes. They started using me to test the quads and it was like, Oh shit, I can ride these things pretty good on a dirt bike track. And, and so then, you know, I switched to quad racing and, and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I, I love racing. And if I can, if I can make an adequate amount of money to support what I want to do in life and I get to still race to do that. I don't give a shit how many wheels it has two, four, three wheelers. Like you're talking about, like I, I would have done it. Like I was passionate about racing and, and, you know, I would say motocross or dirt, you know, you know, works off-road motocross, that type of racing just was what I wanted to do my whole life. So it didn't matter to me if it was two wheels, four wheels, you know, eventually I was, you know, done with quads and I went into side-by-side -side racing. So that's proof, you know, like I went from dirt bikes, which are thought to be like the quote unquote coolest thing to race. Right. And then you go to quads, which, which that group thinks it's cool, but the dirt bike guys think it's horrible. And then I went to like golf cart racing, right? Like side by sides was like a, like this overachieving golf cart. So which, which all the quad guys would laugh at at the beginning, but now everybody's like, Oh shit, those things rip. Now I'm thinking about getting one, you know? So, um, yeah, just, I, I've been lucky enough to be passionate enough to chase, um, whatever type of racing would, uh, keep me going. And, um, you know, and also 
I would say that I'm lucky. I've had great relationships with some really good companies. Yamaha, for instance, I was a test writer. I've done tons of their photo and video shoots for their commercials. And, you know, so that was, you know, I joke about, sometimes I joke about being a juggler because I'm not, I haven't never been just a racer for a living. I was a test writer, a racer, photo shoot guy. You know, I'd go to the press intros with all the magazine people and talk about the new bikes. And, you know, so I was doing tons of different jobs. I was never just purely a factory racer that made a bunch of money racing. That's pretty awesome. Um, brings up one more question. I know that we're probably running short on time. I'm interrupting your nightlife and, and your home life here. Um, do you get the fix in the car that you, the adrenaline rush that you get on the motorcycle and the quad? Because I know they're similar. Do you, do you get the fix in the car? So I would say that I get the same adrenaline rush fixed, uh, as you say, like, um, like in the heat of battle or from winning something, winning a race, you know, um, I would, I would say I get that. Uh, the only thing that the car is lacking to me is that, that pride and that like, um, like how good you can feel about yourself from the physical exertion of going out there and knowing that all that work you put in is what amounted to this, this win, you know, like the physical exertion of going out and just putting everything you had on the line to go win a quad race or a dirt bike race or whatever it might be. Um, so that's the only thing that is missing a little bit from the, from the car side, but you know, possibly that's a good thing. As I get older, I don't have to like, destroy my body as much as I used to and, and hang it out like I would, like I would, cause I was always willing to do that for race wins. You know, do you train now for your personal physical fitness and health, or do you stay in a high level of condition to race the car? Um, mostly for my personal, personal, you know, just conditioning, uh, just cause I don't, I don't want to become lazy and, obese, you know, but, um, thanks buddy. But, but, but no, I'm not talking about you. Come on now. But, uh, so, you know, I think that being in good physical shape helps you anytime you're in a, like a strenuous situation. So when you're racing a car and there's a there's people all around you and you got stuff going on and, you know, um, it just helps you think straighter. You know, if, if you're, physically fit and you keep your mind strong and used to like pushing your body to its limits, then when things get a little wild and crazy around you on the track, then it's more likely that you're going to think straight and make the right decisions. Do you think that racing has, because you're a pretty laid back guy, you know, you, you can sit and talk to just about any crowd. I mean, there's no, there's no animosity, you know, I mean, yeah, things get heated occasionally, but for the most part, you're a pretty easy level-headed guy. Do you believe that the racing has developed a portion of that? Or do you think it's more the makeup and, and who you are as how you were raised? Because I know your dad's, your dad's really quiet from what I've seen. 
Yeah, he's pretty quiet, and I was pretty quiet and shy as a kid growing up. Um, I honestly think that um, that racing had a huge part in developing like my personality. Um, more than anything, as a privateer on dirt bikes and in my first few years on quads, um, it taught me to like really trust and believe in myself and, and try to go be able to be confident in the work I'd done and the skills I brought to the table to go present myself to sponsors. You know, um, I was never like in front of you at Duncan racing, but I was in front of Yamaha and, and other, other sponsors, you know, and pitching them my, my race programs and, and to, um, to learn to be confident and, and more outspoken, uh, took me a little while, you know, um, it was tough because I was a shy kid growing up more like my dad's personality. Um, but then once I got some confidence going, um, you know, it starts kind of steamrolling, right. And you start feeling better about yourself. And then I think Yamaha seen that they started using me from like a behind the scenes test rider to more of a face of the ATV side of Yamaha. And that leads to going to press intros and dealer meetings, going up on stage and talking to a thousand dealers and, you know, in Vegas about a new model ATV or, you know, um, going to a dealer or a, or a press intro and talking about all oh, the new YXC and these are all the badass things about it. And tomorrow we're going to hit the trails and we're going to you know, show you guys what's up, you know? So, um, I, it's just definitely been something that developed over my lifetime or career, but it all started with, uh, getting the confidence to try to go pitch myself and my programs to, um, potential sponsors. That's, that's incredible. That's deep and insightful. I think the whole conversation has been that way. Before I let you go, I would like you to do one last thing for me. If you could tell in your words, what advice you would have for the up and comers, um, the, the, the couple of things that they need to focus on to which you answered a big portion of it already, but, but the things that they should really focus on to get their career started and keep themselves going the right direction. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, that's tough because there's so many different things, but, um, you know, I always found it beneficial to, uh, try to, try to focus on one thing at a time when you're trying to make improvements to yourself as a rider, your bike setup, your program to like, to like separate those things and say, okay, you know, when I first started race, racing quads, uh, I thought I could be a contender right away in 05 was my first year racing quad cross. And I was like, I think I can win. And I went and I got third in the championship. And I was so frustrated because I felt like I was the fastest guy a few times, but I didn't win as many times as I thought I should. And, um, so I said, okay, going into 06, I'm going to be the fastest guy there is. So in my off season, all I did, my fitness was already good. So I focused on speed, sprint speed. Um, so I learned how to become a better starter on ATVs, which is massive. If you're in the motocross world, because face it, a motocross track is built for a dirt bike and quads take up twice the amount of room and they're harder to pass on. So if you can beat everybody the first turn, 
that increases your chances of winning massively. So, and then I worked on my sprint speed because I figured if I have the fitness to beat these guys, if I can sprint away from them in the first half of the race, I can put it on cruise control and, you know, cruise to the wind. Um, so that was my you know focus. I worked on sprint speed, go to the track, go three laps, balls out as fast as you can possibly go. Don't crash yourself, but just try to like push the limits and figure out what you and your machine are capable of. Um, you know, if you have to work on fitness, then you can pedal. I found a huge amount of, um, gains in swimming, uh, during my years of racing, uh, you, you go swim laps. It teaches you, uh, not only is it good for your body fitness, but it, it teaches you breathing rhythm, which is massive. Tons of people get arm pump and get tired because they, well, if you're swimming laps for a half hour, if you forget a good breathing rhythm, you're screwed. You're done. So um, breathing rhythm is huge. Swimming was great. Um, you know, obviously riding, there's no substitute for riding, putting the laps in and hours in on, on a motorcycle quad, whatever you're doing, um, for your fitness. Um, and then, you know, like bike setup is massive, man, just trying to figure out what makes your bike work best for how you ride it. Um, not being afraid to change shock clickers, just keep every keep notes, write everything down. So you can always go back. Um, teach yourself, you know, how to make big changes to your bike and, and what each clicker does. Um, so you can actually make good improvements on race days instead of just taking shots in the dark. And then, you know, like your program, as far as like trying to sit down in front of sponsors, if you want to put out a good image, um, believe me, like the pit presence that I gave Yamaha was not how much money they were putting into my pit and putting into my program. I made it look like it was, they were putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into my program, but that's not the case. Unfortunately, you have to make things look as big and as grand as possible to, um, you know, try to draw the sponsors in and make them want to be a part of a program that looks big, looks legit, looks clean. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, you know, and then obviously the confidence of, of being able to talk to people and to have that true confidence, you have to put the work in ahead of time. Um, otherwise you're kind of lying, right. And you're never going to be able to sit there and bullshit your way through every meeting you have with these bigger companies. So, um, you have to put the, the hard work in for yourself, your body, your bike, and then you go talk to these people and you're like, hell yeah, I've done everything I need to do to go to win races. I can do a better job if you help me out. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing stuff right there. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. Uh, I really appreciate you coming and sitting down with ATV Talk. I know you're a busy guy. I know that this year's been a odd for all of us, but uh, I've always been a fan. I always think that you were a, a very fierce competitor. Um, I wish that I or you or our paths would have crossed. We never got to work together. Um, I would have loved to have done that because I think we could have taught each other a lot and uh, made some headway, um, maybe getting you a little farther into the off-roading or maybe teaching me some more about motocross that I, that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny that, uh, that we were a couple miles away from, part, uh, from each other as far as our shops went, but... Yeah, just never crossed paths. Obviously, I was tied in with Yamaha and people that they were tied in with pretty strongly right from the beginning. 
Um, but it's not too late, man. Get that bicycle up here. We can still be competitive together. Oh, dude. Are we going to put a, a tie down between us so that you can pull me? Because I'm going to need some help. Hey, Elizabeth's been pedaling. You guys can go back to battling on, on, on pedalings instead of pedaling. You want me to go get embarrassed by Elizabeth on the mountain bike trail, just like I did at the motocross. Nah, you, you have a better chance on the, on the mountain bike trail, I'm pretty sure. You know, I'll have to tell you this. We were at Prim, and I was riding a dirt bike, and I was struggling. You know, I mean, I'm uh, for fun. I was a great rider. I, I just enjoy riding. And she was walking by because I was doing some stuff with GPR. And I asked her a, a, just a quick line question. And she goes, you're riding in the wrong lines. Come on, <laughs> you're doing this so long. How could you not see this line? So we actually walked up to the track and she showed me, just pointed it out. You know, you see this little spot right here? You see this right there? Try those lines. You'll be... You're not going to work your body as hard. You're going to be faster and you're going to enjoy the ride way more. Yeah. Just, I've always taken uh, that little bit of advice, you know, and, and, you know, we're all egos, you know, everybody that's oh, yeah. as an ego. And when you tell somebody, Oh dude, I just got a killer advice from uh, the gal. And they're like, yeah. and I go, dude, you need to go listen to her. Go talk to her. She's smart. Yeah. She knows how to ride. Yeah. So, Definitely knows how to ride. Oh, hey, you know, and she's she's no dummy. She's like I said, she helped me a bunch, and and, yeah. and I've been doing it my whole life. You know, little little things that you overlook because uh, for whatever reason, you know, you're just you're just not paying attention. For you know, I wasn't a pro racer. I was just out trying to get around the track and not kill myself. Yeah, hey, that's what us pro racers are doing too. Just so you know. <laughs> Dustin, I would like it if I could extend the invitation to you because there's a portion of the conversation that we never got to. Um, if you would come back and sit with me and, and we could go over uh, the other portions of your career that uh, I think the fans would love to hear about. Yeah, sure, man. Let me know. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for coming and spending time with ATV Talk. Uh, I'll get you some information of when this is going to air for you. Sounds good. Man. Good talking, man. Thank you very much. Have a great night. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. More than 33 years in the industry is building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time. <laughs>